Well, good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. Would you stand with us? Let's worship this morning.
Well, good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. Glad to be with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Garland, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And if you've, if you've not been around uh, maybe church in a while, it's your first time coming in a while, maybe it's your first time ever, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. It's a privilege to get to sing songs to our Savior and our King this morning. And, and one of the things that's a little bit unique uh, about what we believe as Christians, and if you've been a Christian for a really long time following Jesus, or uh, maybe you're still checking this thing out, one of the things that's unique about Jesus' followers, about Christianity, if you've read the Bible, if you look through the pages of the Scripture, um, it's constantly talking about our inability to do what we're called to do, which is love God and love others. And it's constantly talking about our need for the power of God to come and work in and through us. And it's constantly talking about the fact that we just can't do it. Like, we just can't measure up to what the Scripture asks of us. And it's always, throughout all those pages, pointing to our King and our Savior who can, and our King and our Savior who has the strength on our behalf. And so that's what we're here to do this morning. And if you've not been, uh, if you've not been in church for a while, um, that's what we do. That's why we come into this place, is we need to be reminded that we have a king and a savior, and he is good, and he's righteous, and he loves you, and he loves me, and he enables us to be what we're created to be, which is worshipers of God, ordering our lives appropriately, and, and lovers of other people, and bringing God's love to this world. And it's an amazing calling, and in light of that, in light of those, that consistent refrain in the pages of the Bible that we need a Savior, would you join me as we confess together? So let's read this together. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a Savior. As we sing these, these next few words, just I want you to think about, I'm not sure how you came in here this morning. Um, you could be walking with Jesus and things seem to be going right in, in, as you do that pursuit. And uh, maybe this past week was, was difficult for you. Uh, maybe this past few months or years has been difficult for you. Let's be reminded as we confess together our need for a Savior. That Savior's been met in our King Jesus. Sing these words. Are you hurting and broken within And overwhelmed by the weight of your sin Jesus is calling And have you come to the end of yourself Do you thirst for a dream from the well Jesus is calling Mistakes 
comes the day, there's no reason to wait. But Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrow. Bring your sorrows and train them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the church believe the good news Get on this. church believe the good news Jesus died for us Jesus rose for us Jesus intercedes for us in him we are a new creation in him we have forgiveness of sin in him we have a savior to God be the glory forever and ever amen let's sing of our savior And oh, what a Savior, isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Bow down before him, for he is Lord.
will bear your cross as you wait for the crown tell the world of the treasure you found
word of the Lord from Daniel chapter 9. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know this, understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It'll be rebuilt with streets and trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. And the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, my name's Michael. I serve on the community team here. So glad to be with you all this morning. I hope you've had a great spring break. I want to say welcome to our guests. Um, if you're new with us, we'd love to get to know you. You can hit that QR code or even better, just drop by the community booth. We'd love to meet you and help you get connected. Well, the next big thing after spring break has happened on our calendars is Easter. And we're just two weeks out. And so I wanted to remind you, these are our service times. On Sunday morning, there'll be a little different so we can accommodate our guests and have three services. And for the first time since we've opened here in Fayetteville, we're gonna have a Saturday night. And so think about maybe if that's a good time for you and your family to worship. Saturday evening at five, they'll all be family services. We'll all be in here together and all the services are exactly the same. If you come on Saturday, you're not missing anything. We're gonna celebrate the resurrection four times. So we'd love to have you. Also on that week, just something to add to your calendars as we do most years, we'll be opening up um, a place for reflection and communion on Good Friday. This year, it'll be down in the student or in the uh, Fayette Kids area uh, in the 36th Theater. And so you can see on the screen that day from 7 to 5, we'll have communion available. We'll have some scriptures for you just to spend some time, maybe alone, maybe with your family, maybe with some people you're discipling, uh, just to reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus on Good Friday. And then that night, as always, at 7, we'd love for you to join our Celebrate Recovery service that happens over here in the Student Center every year. They have a Good Friday service since they meet every Friday. Well, this morning, I've got a friend with us. Don, come on up. I want to introduce y'all to Don Reed. Don, like me, serves on the community team. Don serves primarily with our Mosaic congregation, our, our Saturday night crew up in Rogers. And Don's going to be in Fayetteville teaching a class for us. Don, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about what you got in mind. Great, Michael. Uh, good morning, Fellowship, Fayetteville. Good to be with you this morning. I do want to kind of flesh out some of the information is back on the slide behind me. Uh, the class is coming up beginning the week after Easter, April 16th, running through May 21. The name of the class is Align Your Finances with the Heart of God. And there's a slogan or a branding that goes along with that class you'll hear if you come, and it's this. It's not what we want from you, it's what we want for you. Now, that could be applied in a lot of situations, starting with God. I uh, just think of the verse that says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what God wants, and most of us in here have accepted that offer. But it also happens when we come to a weekend service like this. If you dropped your kids off in the child care or sent your adolescents, they will be greeted by people who have a for us, not a from us mentality. 
There'll be no billing for child care. There'll be no uh, billing for tutoring your child into what the Bible says. If we come in here as adults into this part, the worship team, as Garland has led us, leads us into praising our King and Savior, as Garland said. And then, as Michael's going to be t teaching us this morning, you prayed over it. You have the Word of God. You want to encourage our hearts. Let us know more. You want what is something for us, not from us along the way. I have a huge for us for the Fellowship family, and Fayetteville particularly. It's on the slide. The Align class now includes a, basically a free will and trust. If this congregation is like a, the average American congregation, and even Christians, only about 30% of us have the will and trust and end-of-life papers in place. As of July 2021, Fellowship entered into a relationship with an organization in Irvine, California, that for 41 years has been helping Christian households get their will and trust and end-of-life papers in place. That's a part of the Align class. I'm very excited about it. It is a huge what God wants for us and what Fellowship wants for us. So how do we get into it? Well, you could pull your phone out and look at the QR code on the screen, and that'll take you to a registration page. You could go to the uh, Fellowship website and go to Fayetteville News, and there you'll find the Align class listed, and uh, you can uh, hit the link there and register. I would encourage registration. You may even, you really get a leg up in this early service because the classroom over here only, owns, only holds about 50, 51 people. So register early. I'll be out at the lobby at the information desk uh, after this service. Be glad to answer any questions like, I have a will. Do I need a trust with it? Or I have a will and trust or I don't have a will and trust. Either I'll know the answer or I'll go find it for you. Thank you very much, Michael, for inviting us down yeah. uh, with the uh, class. Well, thanks for joining us, Don. Let's thank him for what he's doing for the kingdom. You know, as I think about the, the will and trust thing and, and finance, one of the places in my life where I've literally heard the phrase, I got good news and I got bad news, is my accountant's office. My accountants, Dan and Eric, they both worship here. They have both said to me, Michael, I got good news and I got bad news, right? We're familiar with that conceit, right? We're, con we're familiar with that way of framing something. It's not just accountants. Preachers like the good news, bad news thing. Maybe you heard about the pastor who stood in front of his congregation, and he said, I've got good news. We have all the money we need for all of our ministry initiatives, all of our building projects, and I've got bad news. That money is still in your pockets. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not teaching on giving today. I just, I'm setting up the good news, bad news thing because that's what we're going to see in the passage today. We're going to see good news, and we're going to see some bad news. So go ahead and turn there with me, if you would. We're in Daniel chapter 9. If you've got your Bible, open it. If you've got your digital device, let's get the text in front of us. Believe it or not, we're finishing the Daniel Esther series today. It's our last week in this teaching series that we started way back in January. You might be thinking, we're finishing in Daniel 9. My Bible goes to Daniel 12. Well, we're doing things a little out of order. A couple of weeks ago, Garland did a great job walking us through Daniel 10 through 12. And I hope that by the time we wrap up this morning, it'll be obvious to you why we wanted to end this series on March 26th in Daniel chapter 9. 
Well, for those of you who are visiting, again, I want to say welcome. I'm glad you're here. I do want to take just a moment to talk to those of you who've been with us through this whole series, because I want to say to you, good work, good work. Man, y'all have hung in there through some really difficult passages. We've had some incredible conversations in my community group, and I trust that you have in yours as well, but even just what we've done in here on Sunday mornings, good job, Fellowship Fayetteville, pressing in to some of the more difficult, let's say some of the less well-known parts of the Bible. And this week, we're going to finish the whole thing up with one of the most significant prophecies in all of the Old Testament. I can't wait to unpack it together. Now, before we jump in, I just want to reset. Maybe we've been out for a little while or we've kind of forgotten what's going on here. Daniel was written during a period in Israel's history known as the exile because of the nation of Israel's disobedience. God has removed them from the promised land, the land he had set aside for them and dispersed them among foreign nations. And Jerusalem, the holy city, the place where Solomon's temple was built and God's presence dwelled has been destroyed. And by the time we get to Daniel 9, Daniel's an old man. Daniel 9 was written in 539 BC. So it's been 66 years since the events of Daniel 1. Daniel's probably in his 80s. And he's realized the 70 years of captivity prophesied in Jeremiah are coming to an end. And so as Clark taught us last week, Daniel prays this incredible prayer of repentance on behalf of his people. He calls on God to remember his promises. And in our passage today, he gets his response. And what a response. It begins in verse 20. Let's look at it together. Daniel says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill, that's Jerusalem, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen earlier in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. Daniel says, while I was praying, I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth before the answer came. And God has sent a messenger. He sent Gabriel, the angel Gabriel. We've seen him once before in Daniel in chapter 8. But when we think of Gabriel, we think of another place, don't we? We think of Luke chapter 1. If you were with us during the Advent series, we watched a clip from the Nativity movie. This clip depicts Gabriel giving the news to Mary that she is going to be the mother of the Messiah. And so Gabriel is an angel very closely associated with news about the coming of Christ. Let's look at Gabriel's message. It begins in verse 22. He says, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I've come to tell you for your highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. As soon as Daniel's prayer went out, the answer was on its way. And I want us to just consider that for just a moment, because I know every single one of us in here, including those of us who are followers of Jesus, we've all wondered is God really hearing my prayers? Sometimes I think all of us have thought to ourselves, I think my prayers are going to his spam folder. They're not even getting in front of him. Passages like this should assure us, oh, God hears our prayers, and he responds. And you may be thinking, well, 
He hasn't been responding to my prayer immediately. Oh, he has. And even though he immediately sends a messenger to Daniel here, what we're gonna see is the timetable for what Daniel's praying for is gonna be a lot longer than what he had in mind. And that's where the good news, bad news, part of our passage is gonna come in. And we're gonna kind of use this to frame the rest of our time in our teaching this morning. And so we're gonna start off looking at the good news. There's gonna be some things in here that are really good news for Daniel. And then we're gonna reset and we're gonna work back through the passage and look at the things that, at least from Daniel's perspective, seem like bad news. And then at the end, we're gonna wrap up talking about some, what I'm calling, amazingly specific news. And if you've never heard the end of Daniel 9, if you've never studied it, if you've never had it taught, let me just say now, it's going to blow your mind. Am I overselling it? You can decide for yourself in about 30 minutes. All right, here we go. Daniel chapter 9, Gabriel's message, beginning in verse 24. Here's some good news. This news is about your people and your holy city. Daniel, the very thing you've been praying about I've come to bring you news about it. In fact, he's gonna tell Daniel six things that are gonna happen in Jerusalem, and they are all awesome. Let's look at them. The first three have to do with the forgiveness of sins. Number one, something's gonna happen in Jerusalem that will finish the transgression. That word transgression, it's normally associated with a rebellion. And we know a rebellion against God began in Genesis 3 when mankind, humanity, sinned. And so Gabriel says, something's gonna happen that's gonna finish that. Second, gonna put an end to sin. The word in the Hebrew there that's translated put an end, it has this idea of taking into captivity, sealing. Something is going to happen so that sin will no longer have unrestrained power over people. And then third, Atone for wickedness. That word atone, it's kind of a theological word. The word in the Hebrew meant to cover. So every time they performed an animal sacrifice, that animal's blood would cover their sins, atone for their sins. Gabriel says, Daniel, something's going to happen in Jerusalem and people's wickedness will finally be atoned for. You see where all this is going, don't you? That word atone, it kind of tips us off. He's talking about the cross. All of these things Gabriel's describing are gonna happen on a single afternoon when Jesus goes to the cross. See, Jesus lived a perfect life. And so when he went to the cross, that rebellion against God that had been carried on by every single person since the Garden of Eden had finally come to an end. He put an end to sin. Do we still have sin with us? Yes, but we're no longer enslaved by it. Romans chapter six tells us because of what Jesus accomplished, we're no longer controlled and dominated by sin. And then to atone for wickedness, Jesus' death atoned for our sins. One of our go-to gospel verses is 1 Corinthians 15, three. It says, Jesus died for our sins. And so here's the angel Gabriel, 500 years before it happened, Telling Daniel, there's gonna be an end to the transgression. Sin's gonna be put to an end and there'll be an atonement for wickedness and it's all gonna happen in Jerusalem. 
Now, Daniel couldn't have possibly known then what we know now as we look back on it, that all that would happen through the God-man, Jesus Christ, when he would go to a Roman cross. Man, this is good news. And that's what gospel means, good news. Then let's look at the next three things. We're still in verse 24. The next three things that have been decreed, these all have to do with God completing his purposes. The first one, he says, he'll bring in an everlasting righteousness. Jesus was righteous before the Lord. He lived an obedient life. Now when we place our faith in him, that righteousness is credited to us, and it lasts how long? Forever. It's everlasting. He says he'll seal vision and prophecy. Now, I will admit, not all commentators agree on what this means, but I think it means that once this has happened, once this is all recorded and written about, that's gonna, be the, that's gonna be it for scriptures and prophecies. Our New Testament was completed by the end of the first century AD, and nothing's been written since to be added to it, and we're not looking for anything to be added to it. It's been sealed until Jesus returns. And lastly, he says to anoint a most holy place. Now, we don't use that phrase, most holy place, very often. We use a more common name for it, the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was where God met with man. Man, represented by the high priest, would go into the Holy of Holies once a year. Originally, the Ark of the Covenant was in there, representing God's very presence. And we know what happened when Jesus went to the cross. The veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, That was God letting them know this is no longer the holy of holies. This is no longer the most holy place. This is not where God will meet with man because now we will meet in and through the person of Jesus Christ. That's why the writer to the Hebrews said because of what Jesus accomplished, we can boldly enter the throne room of God with confidence. He had become the most holy place. And all of this, All of this was because of what Jesus accomplished. It's all loaded into that message in verse 24, and it's all good news. And there's more good news coming next in verse 25. He says, yes, Daniel, your prayer will be answered. Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. He says it's gonna be rebuilt with streets and a trench. I think that means it's gonna have everything a city should have. It's gonna be fully restored. But the really good news of verse 25 is tucked in the middle there. He says, there's gonna come an anointed one, a ruler. You'll notice the NIV capitalizes anointed one. If you have the ESV or some of our other translations open, they may not capitalize it. But they're both translating the Hebrew word Mashiach. We get the word Messiah. That word Messiah, anointed one, when it goes into the Greek for the New Testament, it becomes Christos, Christ. Sometimes we say Jesus Christ, it feels like Christ is his last name. It's a title. It means anointed one. It means Messiah. Gabriel says, Daniel, this is how all this is gonna happen. All these amazing things from verse 24, these six things, they're gonna come because God is going to send the Mashiach the long-awaited Messiah, and that's the best possible news. 
But like we said at the beginning, it's not all good news in this passage. There's some bad news. It actually starts with bad news. I was just so excited about the good news, I skipped over it. Let's go back and look at the bad news. The bad news for Daniel. Daniel, you're praying for something that you believe is gonna happen after 70 years. The opening words of the prophecy are 70 times seven are decreed. Your Bible might say 70 weeks. It's the same Hebrew word. It just means a unit of seven. Yes, Daniel, the 70 years of Jeremiah are coming to an end. Yes, the exile will be effectively over as people are allowed to return and start rebuilding Jerusalem. But the restoration you're looking for, Daniel, the fullness of God dwelling with his people, it won't be now. It'll be 70 sevens, 70 years times seven, 490 years. And notice he says, it's been decreed. It's not an if then. He's not waiting for something else to happen. This is just God's timetable. And yes, Daniel, the good news was Jerusalem will be rebuilt, but the bad news is it's gonna be in a time of trouble. If you wanna know about that time of trouble, just Flip over in your Bible later and read the book of Nehemiah. It describes all the opposition they had just trying to get started rebuilding the wall. And that time of trouble for Jerusalem would start as soon as they went back and last all the way up to 70 AD when the Romans would finally destroy Jerusalem and the temple. It was a time of trouble. But the really bad news from where Daniel was sitting and I have to imagine it shocked him when he heard it. The really bad news is in verse 26. The anointed one, the Mashiach, will be put to death and will have nothing. The Hebrew says he'll be cut off or, or cut down. This had to stun Daniel. How is God gonna do those six things from verse 24 in Jerusalem? How is he gonna accomplish this by sending the anointed one, the Messiah, if the chosen one's gonna be cut off, killed? He's gonna have nothing? How could this be? And from Daniel's perspective, it gets even worse because look what's gonna follow that. The city, Jerusalem, and the sanctuary, the temple, they're both gonna be destroyed. Now, of course, we're on this side of history. We have the benefit of looking back at what happened, and we know this is exactly what occurred. God's anointed one, the Messiah, he was killed on a Roman cross. And then just a few decades later, the Roman army came into Jerusalem, look at it, like a flood, and completely destroyed it, leveled the temple. If you go to Jerusalem today, you can't look at the temple from Jesus' time, it's completely gone. The only thing left are some foundation stones. Desolation had been decreed. So Gabriel's got a lot of news, doesn't he? He's got some good news, but especially from where Daniel's at, man, there's some bad news. The good news, Daniel, is your prayers have been heard, and yes, Jerusalem will be restored. In fact, God is gonna send the chosen one, the Messiah. But the bad news is, it's not now 70 years. It's 70 times seven. And the Messiah 
is going to come, but he's gonna be killed in Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed. And that brings us to what I'm calling the amazingly specific news. Now, what I'm gonna say right now is gonna sound familiar, especially if you were here last time I taught in Daniel 7. It applies to Daniel 9 as well. Not everybody agrees on how to interpret this. And it shouldn't be fodder for arguments. It shouldn't be cause for division. And so, maybe your favorite Bible teacher says something different than what I'm about to say. Maybe you're reading a commentary that says something different about this passage than what I'm gonna teach this morning. That's okay. But with that said, man, am I excited about this. I'm gonna teach you what I believe is true, even as I hold it loosely and say some of these other positions could turn out to be right, I am excited about what God has shown me in this passage through the teachers that I've had. I'm so excited about this, in fact, that when the teaching assignments for Daniel came out, I was like a little kid looking to see if he made the team. I was like, into Daniel 9, into Daniel 9, MS, yes, yes, I'm gonna get to teach this. All right, so here we go. Amazingly specific news, it has to do with the 77s. Look at verse 25. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, the ruler comes, there'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens. So there's gonna be a command to restore Jerusalem, right? And from the time of that command, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. In other words, 69 sets of seven years, 69 times seven. Why does he say seven and 62 instead of just saying 69? I don't know. Maybe something happened after the first seven by seven that we don't know about. Maybe that's how long it took him to even get the rebuilding of Jerusalem going good. Or maybe it just sounds cool. Why did Abraham Lincoln say four score and seven? Instead of just saying 87, I don't know, it just sounds good. But the key here is we're talking about 69 times seven, 483 years after a decree. So which decree does it refer to? And to be fair, there are multiple decrees concerning the end of the exile recorded in the Old Testament. Which one is Gabriel referring to? Well, I think the one that makes the most sense and most closely fits the language here is the command in Nehemiah to rebuild the city. It's the only one that has the word rebuild. It's the exact same word that's used in Daniel 9. And look what the Lord's given us in verse one. In his grace, he's given us a time stamp. And so we can take that time stamp and we can take it and compare it to our modern calendar. And we can look at what secular history tells us about the reign of Artaxerxes, and we can date this as March 5th, 444 BC. I think the Bible teaches that on March 5th, 444 BC, the commandment referred to by Gabriel went out. So here's the bottom line. Artaxerxes, this Persian ruler, his command to rebuild Jerusalem went out on March 5th, 444 B.C. Now I have to confess something to you. I would have confessed this last week as Clark invited us to confess, but I didn't know about this sin yet. 
There's a mistake on the last page of your book. There's nothing like finding out that you made a mistake on the very last page of a book. There's a chart in there that says 445 BC. Just go out and take out your pen and scratch it out. It should say 444. That's my fault. Don't blame the media team. I gave them a bad number. All right, 444 BC is the correct year. Now, there's a bunch of math to do here because we got to go from lunar years to the way we reckon time, and you got the switch over in the middle where there's no year zero, and there's some of the math in your study guide. So you can look at that if you want. But if you really want to get into this, check out Sermon Notes. This is our weekly podcast. And this week, Garland and I went down the rabbit hole of all the math that goes into what I'm about to tell you. So if you're a science person, if you're a history person, take us up on it. Check it out on Sermon Notes. Maybe you're just somebody who wants to see if what I'm saying this morning holds up to some scrutiny. Spoiler alert, it does. Okay, here's the quick version. 483 years. We multiply that by 360. Why 360 and not 365? The Jews used a lunar calendar. They had 12 30-day months. That gives us 173,880 days. If we take that and we just start counting days, from March 5th, 444 BC, here's what we find. It brings us to March 30th, 33 AD, the exact day that we believe that Jesus, the Messiah, entered Jerusalem. We call it the triumphal entry. You have goosebumps? I do, and I knew where we were going. Jesus, on March 30th, the Messiah was presented to the holy city of God, the Mashiach, the Messiah. He fulfilled all kinds of prophecy, including Zechariah 9.9, that he would come in on a donkey. The people cried out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Y'all, the first time I saw this, something turned inside of me. I already knew the Lord, but just the confirmation for me personally how all of this works out so perfectly. It gives me so much confidence in all of the truth of Scripture that it could be so accurate, and yet the Lord designed for it to be in a way that is for people who have eyes to see to uncover it. Daniel's prophecy of the 77s, I believe, predicted the exact date the Messiah King would be presented to Israel. It's incredible. And we all know what happened next. Gabriel said, the anointed one will be put to death. We all know the Messiah King entered Jerusalem to cries of Hosanna. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That was on Sunday. And on Friday afternoon, he would be nailed to a Roman cross. He would cry out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The Messiah had been cut off. Jesus had given his life to end the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness. God's plan had all come to pass exactly as Gabriel described it to Daniel, and all of his plan had been accomplished through his son, Jesus. Now, Daniel didn't reveal, or Gabriel didn't reveal to Daniel what we know now, that Jesus would be raised to life on the third day, 
that he would ascend to heaven where he would be seated at the right hand of the Father, and that one day he'll return to reign and rule on the earth. That's the end of the story. But before the end of the story comes, there's one more week, right? He said there'll be 77, 70 weeks. And we've just been talking about the 69. Where's the 70th? Well, there's one more verse in Daniel we haven't looked at yet. It's verse 27. And in it, he specifically mentions one more week. Look at verse 27. He will confirm a covenant with many, but for one seven, in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice an offering, and at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out upon him. Who is this talking about? Who is the he of Daniel 9.27, the final set of seven? Well, I think the he of Daniel 9.27 is the same person represented by the little horn in Daniel 7. I think it's the same person that's represented by the king who elevates himself above all the others at the end of Daniel 11. I think it's the man that Paul will later refer to as the man of lawlessness. I think it's the man that John will refer to by the name we more commonly use, the Antichrist. Jesus specifically refers to this in Matthew 24, 15 as something still to come. And so, y'all, I'm so confident that everything that happened in the first part of this prophecy happened exactly as it was described, that this is gonna come to pass exactly as it's described here. That when this final seven-year period comes to a close, Jesus will return and reign and rule on the earth for a 1,000 years, and at the end of that 1,000 years, he will usher in a time when the transgression is ultimately ended and sin is gone even from our presence because he's already atoned for it. He'll bring in the new heavens and the new earth. And with that glorious idea, we come to the end of our study of Esther and Daniel. And I want us to take just a moment before we move on to the next thing to just think about where we've been together on this journey. What did we see in Esther? We saw God working in the smallest of spaces. We saw God working in one family. We saw God working in the life of one orphan exile. We saw God working behind the scenes, not just unseen, but unnamed, and yet always in control. Then we flipped over to Daniel, another piece of exile literature, and what did we see there? We saw the opposite. We saw God working on a global scale, empires rising and falling, we saw God working on a cosmic scale as we saw angelic battles and visions of beasts. We saw supernatural miracles and rescues, and we saw God's prophetic plan unfolding with amazing specificity. So, what do we see today? We see God continuing to work on a cosmic scale. There are still spiritual battles behind nations and empires. And God's prophetic plan is still working exactly according to his plan and purpose. And yes, God's still working in the smallest of spaces, in your family, in mine, in our individual lives, sometimes unseen and yet always in control. And I hope what we'll take away from this experience in Daniel Esther 
is an awareness of the way of the exile garland. This is the way. The way of the exile to bless the culture that God's placed us in, even as we resist the idols of that culture and always remembering there's a king over that culture. His name's Jesus. And he's the center of all this. The Daniel 7, son of man. He's our king. And so now before we declare that together in song, lifting our voices to declare that Jesus is the king of kings, I want us to go to him in prayer and just thank him for this. Lord, thank you for your word. It was an act of grace that you revealed any of this to us. And so Lord, thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you've given us insight into who you are and what you're doing. And my prayer now is that we, exiles, citizens of a heavenly kingdom, temporarily living in a different place, would be faithful to you as we declare you are our true king. The church, would you stand with us? Let's respond.
sorrows. Jesus is better. Make my heart believe in every victory. Jesus is better. Make my heart believe in any comfort. He's better than any comfort. Jesus is better. Make my heart believe more than all riches. Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Would you sing these words? Press on, press on. We're safe in His arms. When troubles and trials come our way, seek peace, show grace, hold fast to your faith. For our Press on, press on, we're safe in His arms. When troubles and trials come our way, oh, seek peace, show grace, hold fast to your faith for our Savior. King, isn't it? Fellowship Fable, we love you. That song, Press On, our team's recorded it, so it should be coming out on Spotify or wherever you get your music in the next week or so. Our prayer room's available right through those doors. We love you. I'll see you all next week. Have a great week, everybody.